Apollo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin has six lines to fit your style and financing to fit any budget. Through November 30th, choose 12 months, no payments and no interest, plus 20% off installation. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. We are joined at the start of the program by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator Johnson, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well, sir. Well, lots of stuff going on in Washington. Let's start out with the Build Back Better bill. Um, a lot of the talking heads thought, hey, cause the Senate was going to come back into session this week and it was going to get passed by Christmas. Um, my, my sense is that it's dead for the foreseeable future. What, what's going on? Well, I sure hope so. But I think, too, a big piece of information uh, were revealed uh First, the inflation numbers, the CPI, 6.8% over the last 12 months. That's uh, higher than it's been in the last 39 years. Uh, plus, the producer price index came out at 9.75% for the last 12 months. And these are, these are jaw-dropping figures. These are hurting every American, but particularly seniors on fixed incomes, the people at the lower end of the income spectrum. Uh, so, so Joe Manchin has been talking about, he's, he's concerned about the inflationary impact of all this deficit spending. Then throw on top of that, uh, not only did we have the Penn Wharton uh, score, the Mayan McGinnis's score of the $1.7 trillion bill, which was really, if you extend these programs for the full 10 years, uh, it's a $4.6 to $4.8 trillion plan. Uh, CBO chimed in with their own score closer to $5 trillion. So, uh, you know, Joe said he wasn't going to uh, agree to anything that initially was over $1.5 trillion. They moved him up to $1.75 trillion, but that was a completely dishonest score because they had these programs ending after a year. And of course, as Ronald Reagan said, the closest thing to eternal life on this earth is a government program. Democrats know that. Joe Manchin knows that. The CBO knows that. And so it's, it's not $1.75 trillion. It's more like $5 trillion in spending. And, uh, you know, hopefully Joe sticks to his guns and, and this thing just dies a, a very quiet but sure, death. Right now, uh, Senator, for people who might not be familiar with the, the CBO, the, the Congressional Budget Office, that, that's that's a nonpartisan entity that evaluates the real fiscal impact of bills. Correct? It is, and, and again, it just confirmed what Penn Wharton, that's you know, Wharton School of Business. I mean, this is these are uh, you know quality organizations. My McGinnis's group as well. Uh, so they're all right in there at the ballpark, $4.6 to $5 trillion, as well as the CBO came in and said that it would add about $3 trillion to our debt and deficit, over to our debt over the next uh, uh, 10 years as well, e- even though the president's out there saying this won't add a dime to our deficit. Uh, wrong. That was a lie. Now, Senator, I, one of the things I'm seeing is, is now that it appears that at least for the immediate future, there's not going to be any action on Build Back Better. I, I, I notice that the Democrats in the Senate are sort of switching over to now the, the voting rights bill and the idea that we need to do something there. And to do that, of course, you've got to modify the filibuster. What's going to happen with that? Well, it sounds like both uh, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema uh, are saying they will not uh, cooperate uh, and, and really destroy the Senate, because that's what you'd do if you, you just turned into the House. Uh, now, what, what is interesting, I can't remember the exact number, something like 
28 to 35 Democrat senators when Republicans were in a position to eliminate the filibuster so we could ram everything through that we wanted with 50 votes. Of course, we wouldn't, we didn't do that. Uh, but Dem- something like 35 Democrat senators uh, wrote a letter uh, saying you know, we should never violate the filibuster. And then basically all those folks have backtracked on that, except for Kirsten Sinema and, and Joe Manson. So there, there's a lot of hypocrisy right. on the part of Democrats when it comes to filibuster. But you know, pray that uh, Joe Manson and Kirsten Sinema remain faithful to their, their promise. Now, Senator, you were in the news this week talking, uh, actually uh, kind of pushing the Department of Justice um, on, on what it does to monitor pretrial release of, of violent offenders. What's the background of that, and, and what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, the last time the Justice Department reported on you know, what it knew uh, about crime created or you know, perpetrated by individuals that are out on you know, pretrial bail was 2007. And so in 2020, under uh, the Trump administration, uh, we, we actually passed an appropriation to, to fund a new program called the National Pretrial Reporting Program uh, to, to report on what happens. Because we're, we're, you know, you're seeing crime go up, particularly in Democrat-governed cities like Milwaukee. And uh, we want to know to what extent uh, that is fueled by this low bail, no bail, all, all these types of policies. Uh, and so I, I just wrote, uh, obviously, in the, on the, the back of the, the tragedy in Waukesha that never should have happened because that accused, that, that perpetrator never should have been on the street. Uh, I just wrote the Department of Justice, you know, where, where's the data? You know, where are the statistics mm-hmm. on this pretrial report that uh, you know, we funded in 2020? Right. So so in other words, it, we, we all agree, and I think everybody would agree that Daryl Brooks and Waukesha should not be, be out. But the fundamental question is, was this a one-off, as some people might want to suggest, or is it more of a systematic problem? Like, it, at least I, I sort of believe that it is, that, that you, know, you hear about the Daryl Brooks because of, of the carnage that was created. But I guess it would be nice to know whether on a daily basis in urban areas, people who are out on pretrial release or some form of small bail are committing crimes over and over again. And it would be nice to have that data available. Yeah, you know, anecdotally, we know this is not a one-off. Uh, the FBI just recently released a report that, uh, report that nationwide violent crimes, rapes, murders, robberies, assaults are up almost 30 percent. Uh, so you know, we, we actually want the hard data, though, not just go, going off of anecdotes. We want the hard data, and the Justice Department ought to have it because we funded them to get this data. Senator, I, I know one of the, the issues that, that is still bubbling under the surface in Washington, maybe maybe not even that much under the surface, is the whole question about the legitimacy of the election in 2020 as we move into the midterms in 2022. What are, in, in general, what are your takeaways? Do we do a good job running elections? Do we do a bad job running elections? Um, is there rampant fraud? What do you think the bottom line of is what's going on? First of all, I think having every state control its own elections provides us greater election security than if we had some national system. Uh, I think it's also when you take a look at Wisconsin, you have all these individual uh, election precincts. Uh, I can't remember the exact number, but well over a thousand. They're run by people in, in most cases of very high integrity. I know, you know, my my town clerk. Uh, if every everybody was like her, I wouldn't have any problems. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, during COVID, uh, even though the Baker Carter Commission warned that the probably greatest source of potential fraud would be absentee ballots. We doubled the number of absentee ballots nationally. 
in so many jurisdictions, including Wisconsin, we loosened the controls over them. You know, the Wisconsin Election Commission in particular issued guidances contrary to state law. And so there's without doubt there were irregularities in the 2020 election uh, nationwide. But in particular, it seems like uh, there were irregularities in these, you know, Democrat strongholds uh, where, you know, these counties just couldn't get their vote totals in like when everybody else does. Uh, they, they wait for, for you know, many, many hours after the polls close. Uh, observers aren't able to observe. Uh, there are other things that are just odd. They're just irregular. And I think those things need to be investigated. We need to explain the irregularities. But the, the overall goal, Jeff, is to restore confidence to every American for every Wisconsinite that their legitimate vote's not canceled out by fraudulent voting. So the way you do that is, you investigate these irregularities uh, where you find problems, you fix them. In the state of Wisconsin, we need it at, at a minimum, actually follow the law. You know, the Legislative Audit Bureau, I think you probably reported mm-hmm. on this, you know, 30 different recommendations dealing with issues that, there were, that we had in the 2020 election. So, again, the, the goal is not to create a partisan advantage. That, that's what Democrats want to do by nationalizing these elections. The goal is to restore confidence in the minds of every citizen that their legitimate vote is not canceled out by a fraudulent one and that whoever wins, it's a legitimate result. I, I would think most Americans, most Wisconsinites would agree with that goal, which is why like 80% nationwide agree with voter ID. <laughs> Even though the left always pushes that as you know, some kind of voter suppression, you know, people really want to make sure that their legitimate vote is protected. Senator, and that we don't allow fraudulent votes. So let, let me follow up on that to an extent. Knowing what we, we know now, and, and again, I think I, I appreciate what you're saying about the restoring confidence and stuff. Knowing what we know now, do you believe that the 2020 presidential election was, was quote unquote, stolen? I've, I've certainly never said that. You know, obviously, we have, we have a system. We need to respect that system. I acknowledge that Joe Biden was the president elect the, the moment the, uh, Electoral College voted. Uh, I said between that time and and, uh, when he became president, I I saw no circumstance in which any of his electors would be disavowed. So I've been very consistent uh, along those lines. I know a lot of people have taken what I've said out of context. You just lied about what I've I've said. But but again, I also acknowledge that there were irregularities, and I don't believe anybody should scornfully dismiss the concerns of tens of millions of Americans based on those irregularities. Mm-hmm. Let's talk for a minute about the, the January 6th commission, which is, is getting a lot of, of attention. Are, are they doing legitimate work? Is this a witch hunt? Is it something in between? What do you think? Uh, my guess is a witch hunt. You know, had, had Nancy Pelosi actually allowed uh, Republicans to appoint their members, which she didn't allow, you know, then it might be somewhere in between. But, you know, f- from my standpoint, the minute the narrative took that this was, a, 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 you know, an insurrection with thousands of armed insurrections. It wasn't. You know, that was a completely false narrative. And anybody that had the, I guess, courage to, to push back on that, like me, viciously attacked, you know, once again, words that I said taken out of context. Uh, so there, there's something going, there's something more going on here. There's no doubt about it. I think the American people do have a right to understand exactly what happened. You know, the, the uh, eyewitness account that I entered into our hearing record, which, of course, I was immediately accused of being a conspiracy theorist. Uh, it was written by J. Michael Waller, a very you know, knowledgeable, 
trained observer, actually came there to observe, uh, wrote a 14-page, very detailed uh, eyewitness account, which is pretty well standing the test of time. He noticed probably about four groups of people stood, you know, really stood out from the crowd. Uh, he called them provocateurs. I'd call them agitators. Uh, I think there's mounting evidence that uh, that's kind of what happened here. And, and again, the, not, I, I completely uh, condemn the violence. I continue to. I don't condone it at all. But I think the vast majority of people there on January 6th were there to protest peacefully. And I think that uh, account by J. Michael Waller is so far the most accurate. But you know, we still don't know really what the FBI, what the Capitol Police, you know, what, what people knew. This, the government is not being transparent. And I, I realize that's probably a real shocker to people in your audience. It's certainly not a shocker to me. Um, Senator, we were talking about context, comments out of context. Um, last week, there was some coverage of something you were talking about with regard to COVID, including Listerine. And, and, and the way this was spun was, you know, Ron Johnson talks about, you know, how Listerine is a cure for COVID. And I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's kind of what the implication was. What, what, what were you saying and, and what is your thought on some of those things? Well, this is a classic example of the grotesque distortions and bias of the mainstream media. I'm on a telephone town hall, uh, and I'm just telling people, I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring COVID daily since this pandemic began. I'm just telling the few thousand constituents on the call, we're in the middle of a surge. Take this very seriously. This is a deadly disease. You know, so th- there's a number of things you can do to help protect yourself. You know, for example, you know, even Dr. Fauci has increased his uptake of vitamin D. doesn't really tell anybody. But I mean, there, there is you know, vitamin D, vitamin Z, uh, vitamin C, zinc. You, you can you can use mouthwash. There's actually a study on the NIH website that shows this. This is what you're doing in dental offices. So I didn't say mouthwash could cure uh, uh, COVID. I didn't say you should do that instead of taking a vaccine. I said none of those things. But this became, literally, my office was contacted 10 minutes at the telephone town hall by the news media because they're obviously Democrat trolls on the town hall. And then this became a national news story for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is absurd. It was taken so out of context. By the way, I was right about mouthwash. More and more people are coming out. I know Dr. Norchasm has been on TV saying, no, this is, this is what we do. And we, we, we recommend the use of mouthwashes to, you know, in, in, in all kinds of circumstances, even beyond dentistry. Right. Uh, I've heard other doctors basically confirm that I'm right. But obviously the mainstream media they are biased. They, they want to destroy me politically. And so they take every opportunity to lie about what I say or distort it or take it way out of context. And that's what happened here. To, to that end, Senator, it seems like almost every time I, I turn on the TV here here in Wisconsin, I, I see I, I see one or more attack ads that are being run against you. I mean, the most recent one is some guy who's a Navy veteran who says that Ron Johnson, you know, sold his company and voted for this deal that he made all this extra money. And, and one of the things I hear from a lot of listeners is, when is Senator Johnson going to respond to some of that stuff because it, it's it seems like i say every time you turn on the television there's this attack ad or there's that attack ad against you well hopefully people do realize how dishonest the media and quite honestly the democrat party is you know, I'm, I'm certainly hoping our supporters understand that you know i am going through the process telling the people whether i'm going to run or not obviously i'm not going to respond to respond to campaign ads until i'd actually be in a campaign yeah you know, you know, so i'll make a decision in the next few weeks here i will tell you what's going through my mind jeff you know, I, I ran 
in you know 2010 because I was concerned about the debt, about Obamacare. In 2016, you know, I truly did intend. It was my and my wife's very strong preference to serve another term and then go home. But but here we are in the end of 2021. I since the 1960s, this nation has not been as divided. You know, or in as much turmoil. And it's, it's all due to get Democrat governance, or largely due to Democrat governance. And so, you know, part, you know I've, I've, never, I've never left, you know, walked away from something that needs to be fixed, okay? I've, I've never not been involved in trying to fix a mess, okay? So part of, part of what's weighing on my mind is, you know, would you walk away? If, if, you, if you had an opportunity to help improve things, would you walk away? Uh, now. I'm fully aware of how nasty this is going to be. How many millions have they already spent attacking me? You know, it's been a year relentless false lies and attacks against me in the, in the mainstream media. So, I mean, if I do this, it, it's not going to be pleasant. But, but Jeff, you know, like you, like your listeners, I and mean, I love this country. I understand how extraordinary and exceptional this marvel we call America is. And I don't know. It's, I mean... I'm asking you, would you walk away if you had a chance to help improve things? That, that's what's going through my mind. You know, the nastiness of the campaign, you know, how, how awful it would be, but at the same time, how much I love this country and Wisconsin. So, Senator, did you, I, and, and whenever we talk, I, I apologize, we always finish the interview with the same essential question. So do you anticipate then that you're going to making a decision as to whether you run again in, in the next couple of weeks? It will be, yeah. Got it. Senator Johnson, I appreciate you spending some time and answering a wide variety uh, array of questions, and we will definitely talk again in the very near future, I hope. Thank you, and Merry Christmas to you, sir. Have a merry and blessed Christmas to you and your listeners as well. Take Absolutely. care. Take care. That's uh, Senior Senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson, back with more in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Please join Good Karma Brand, 620 WTMJ in the 3rd Street Market Hall for a United for Waukesha charity event this Wednesday, December 22nd. Your $100 ticket includes food samples from the future 3rd Street Market Hall vendors, steak from Carnivore, and two drink tickets to the bar. Plus, former Brewers All-Star catcher Jonathan LaCroix will be in attendance. The event will take place on December 22nd from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. with 100% of the proceeds benefiting those affected by the tragedy at this year's Waukesha Christmas. Christmas Parade. For tickets or additional information, text the word TICKET to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. Well, interesting conversation with Senator Johnson, and we, we covered a wide variety of topics, and I, I, I get, as you might expect, just a ton of texts from people, including, well, why don't you push him on this, or why don't you push him on that? Well, it's not the purpose. This is a conversation to Again, ask him a series of questions about how he responds to different things and what's going on with Washington. And I, I do think, as I have said before, it's sounding to me more and more like Senator Johnson intends to run for reelection. And there's no question if if he does make the decision to run for reelection, that this is going to be probably the most expensive race perhaps in the country, because already there's been millions of dollars spent, you know, trying to to tarnish his, his image. And I candidly, I, I think if you look at some of the approval numbers that, that it's it's worked to an extent so i mean that's one of the reasons why i've been saying for months and months that if senator johnson were going to run again i i, 
I thought he, he should have been aggressively running six months ago, eight months ago, whatever, and countering a lot of the stuff that's out there, however he chooses to counter it. It does appear that we're getting close to a decision. And like I say, if he decides that he's going to run again, well, it's going to be kind of Katie bar the doors because this seat I know is perceived as being very much in play because, as I was mentioning to Steve Scafidi, you got to keep in mind that Senator Johnson would be, if he runs for re-election, the only Republican senator running for re-election in a state that was carried narrowly, but carried nevertheless by Joe Biden. So it's going to be um, it's going to be an interesting political year, and I expect that we're going to be hearing from Senator Johnson on his decision over the course of the next couple of weeks. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It is going to be an interesting election year. Our text line, of course, explodes. And there there is a certain percentage of people who are generally just absolutely angry that you would even have you. I can't even believe that you would do an interview with Ron Johnson. This is just terrible. You are awful. It's terrible that you should have him on. Well, Sorry, you know, get used to it. If he runs again, he will be on a lot during the course of the electoral season, as will other political candidates, actually both Democrats and Republicans, if some of the Democrats want to come on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink for ice skating villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, text the word CHRISTMAS to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Okay, 855-616-1620. I, I was just mentioning Mike Spaulding, how I think in, in this windstorm yesterday, and the winds really have died down a little bit, but they're still out there, I thought We Energies has done a pretty good job. As a matter of fact, I I am almost always very, very impressed with their response to these major weather events that occur and, and cause power outages. And I understand it gets frustrating sometimes for people who are, you know, without power for a while. But a lot of it, again, depends on where the outage is. And they they have what they I would refer to as sort of a triage thing, where if you've got 5,000 people that are out of power, they start off by saying, okay, is there a fix we can do that are going to get 4,000 people power back right away? And they do that. And then the people that inevitably have to wait the longest are the people who where it's a small power outage it's your immediate neighborhood and there's a tree that's taken down a power line and so there's eight homes that are out or there's four homes that are out and and inevitably those get treated last and it might not be fair but it's just kind of the reality you're trying to get as many people back online as quickly as you possibly can and a lot of times this happens under sort of bad conditions and like last night it happens in the middle of the night and i in general think that they do a good job 855-616-1 620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Did you have power problems last night? And if so, are they still ongoing? And are you listening to me through some other alternative? Or, you know, does We Energies do, I, I think, a good job? I don't think they get enough credit for, you know, what the hard work they end up doing and how difficult it is when you're faced with sustained 
you know, wind gusts of 60 miles an hour. Jeff, the storm would have been much worse if the leaves were still on the trees, not as much of a sail effect without the leaves catching the wind, and no ice. Actually, I think it would be a um, lucky break. Uh, Jeff, I'm not with you. This is a listener in Fox Point. Um, I'm not giving them much credit. I still don't have power. There's not been an update on their web page. Um, I filed an outage at 5 in the morning. I think I might know, ask for a discount. Another texter says, um, why don't you talk to We Energy's corporate executives about why they don't buy, bury power lines? Well, actually, last time this happened, we, we had one of the corporate spokespeople from We Energy's on, and I asked specifically that question, you know, why don't you bury power lines? And, and here's, here's what they said. They said, well, they do under some circumstances, but what you have to understand is it costs a lot of money. To bury, to bury power lines. It's just a much more expensive way to go, but they do it. However, the trade-off is that if there's a problem with a buried power line, it's much more expensive and it's much more difficult to fix. So you really have to kind of assess things on, on an area-by-area basis. And for people who think, well, you know, if everything was underground, that would, that would eliminate all the problems. It, it eliminates some problems, perhaps, but yeah, because, I mean, the, the line's not going to go down in the high wind, but if there is a problem that develops, it ends up getting a lot worse. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think We Energies does a really good job overall, and I think it's still a relatively good deal. Yeah, I, I think there's an element of it. Jeff, I think that they do, um, let me see. Jeff, I think that they do a good job, and anybody wants to complain, um, you go out in one of those bucket trucks in the cold wind and you take care of the problem. Yeah, I, I think that that's um, it. Jeff, odd, in 30 plus years in my house, I've never lost power from a storm except on a couple occasions when stupid drivers took down power poles at a major intersection about a mile away. Well, I think that there's an element of that as well. So I, I think that, the, look, and I understand if you are one of those people that's out of power, it, it's a frustrating sort of situation. I get it. I would be I would be in the same situation you are. I'd be complaining, why, my gosh, it's been eight hours, I don't have power or whatever it is. But in general, given the magnitude of what happened last night, and given the intensity of the windstorm, I think you have to recognize that um, you know that there's going to be issues. Jeff, power in the city of Pewaukee went out about 3 a.m. this morning, and it's still out. It's freezing in here, and We Energies keeps pushing the restoration time farther and farther back. I'd rather have the power out in the summer than now. I can only put so many layers of clothes on. I, I do agree that if the choice is you're going to lose power in the summer or you're going to lose power in the winter, I think I would prefer to lose power in the summer. Of course, the other problem with that is we got lucky yesterday because there wasn't monster rainstorm. So for people who depend on electricity to power sump pumps and things like that, um, that becomes kind of a non-issue. Um, Jeff, We Energy does a great job during our storm. On the other hand, I still have no cable, internet, or landline. Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, yeah. Jeff, this fall, we energies reinforced the bases of the power line poles with concrete in our neighborhood, including one in our backyard. We had absolutely no problem, um, at all. 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Hi, Gianni. Yes, good morning. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Sure. Hey, listen, uh, it's sunny up here. We have, we have power back on as of six o'clock. 
this morning. But my wife woke me up at uh, about 11 a. 11 p.m. last night and said, you know, the power is out and I was sleeping. And so I, I you know, within, you know, 15 minutes, I called it in and uh, we have a lion energy. So they took my call and um, they they already recognized that there was a power outage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by, by six this morning, we were back online. It was a big, you know, concern because my, my father is elderly and uh, sure. mobile and I, I have to care for him. So I rely on a space heater and electricity to keep his, 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 his room warm sure. and that. So uh, hats off to Alliant Energy. It was really blowing here last night, and I thought, how are they going to get out and fix it by morning, you know, in the dark and that? But um, they, they they got it done. So I'm yeah. very impressed. No, I think exactly. And, and again, un- under very, very difficult conditions. And again, I think sometimes we just... We, we take certain things for granted. I mean, this is, it, it ties into sort of one of the bigger topics I talk about a lot when it, when it comes to things like, like power. I think there's a lot of people who just, you, 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 I don't know, I think they think electricity gets generated at that light switch. When you turn on the light switch and the lights come on and you hit the button and the TV comes on and all those things and they think, oh, this is it. Well, it's actually a relatively complicated system that generates the power and then that gets power to individual houses and stuff. And it can, in fact, be, be fragile. And when you're faced with, I mean, extreme weather conditions like yesterday, and and yesterday was an extreme weather situation. Thankfully, it wasn't tornadoes like they had, you know, a week before last in, in Kentucky and things like that. We were very fortunate in that regard. But when you're dealing with sustained 60-mile-an-hour winds, that's that's going to cause all sorts of problems. And again, I, I'm sorry for people that don't have their power restored right now. And I'm certainly not an apologist for We Energies. I just call them like I see them. And I think We Energies does, by and large, a very, very good job. And I appreciate that that's cold comfort to somebody who's still sitting there without uh, electricity so the furnace isn't operating. I get it. But I think in general, like I say, I think they do a pretty good job. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Get your tickets now for Wisconsin's ultimate drive through holiday experience. WTMJ is proud to support Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Enjoy millions of lights, three mesmerizing light tunnels, hundreds of inflatables, a rink fry skating villagers, a nativity scene, and so much more. To secure your spot now, text the word CHRISTMAS to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. It's Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland in Grafton. Now, I do have an, an announcement to make about that, as we were just talking about Monster Windstorm yesterday, and the report is that um, Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland, which is, if you, if you haven't been through it, you, you really should, you, you should, because it's very, very cool, the drive-through, the light displays and things like that. Anyhow, the announcement is that Capco's Kids to Kids Christmas Wonderland sustained significant damage during last night's windstorms, I can only imagine. They say that when wind conditions improve, professional crews will be on site to repair all damage. As a result, the Wonderland is going to be closed this evening and tomorrow. Um, it says we hope to reopen on Saturday, December 18th, but all are encouraged to visit their website for updates. All tickets purchased for either tonight or tomorrow will be honored on any other open evening. So that's kind of the update. If you were planning on going out tonight or tomorrow, 
Um, it, it, it's closed because of the wind damage. They're working as best they can to try to um, restore it. So one of the inevitable things, again, about Mother Nature. But it's a wonderful, wonderful cause. And this kind of hurts them at a bad time because, obviously, week before Christmas is when a lot of people are in the Christmas mood and they're taking advantage of it. But if you have those tickets, they will be honored at some other time. So keep that in mind. You know, the other, in this case, like really sort of bad news that's out there. And I just, you, you want to talk about people who are just from a from a, a living condition and economic standard standpoint really going through some hard times. It's the folks that lived in this Wa- Waukesha's Horizon West condominium. This, of course, was the condo building that was essentially condemned and on, on very short notice because uh, authorities became concerned that the thing was going to collapse and it now appears nobody's made a final decision, but all indications are that the building is going to just have to be raised, torn down, that is, because they, they anticipate, they, they believe that there's huge structural damage to the building. And the problem is to do the repairs, you essentially have to, to tear open most of the building anyways, and it just probably makes more economic sense to just level it. On top of that, apparently there's lots of asbestos that is in the building, and of course, you know, asbestos right now is an absolute no-no, and to try to do asbestos abatement, you know, that adds, what, like over a million dollars before you could even start to do the improvements. So um, the, the estimates suggest that it, it's going to be just probably torn down. Where, where this poses a problem for the residents is the whole question of insurance coverage. And I mean, I, I don't want to play a lawyer, insurance lawyer on the uh, radio, but the truth of the matter is, I think it's very, very up in the air as to whether this type of loss would be covered by, by insurance. And for a lot of the individuals who might own uh, an individual condo who have, I don't know, have loans out on the condo and stuff, the, the question becomes, you know, are they going to be able to get any sort of economic recovery at all? And if so, how soon? It's it's very, very problematic. And for all you want to talk about people that really your, your heart goes out to, um, it's it's the folks that were residents of that place, because at least in the short term, I think that there's going to be a lot of scrambling, not just scrambling to find a new place to live, but also scrambling with the economic ramifications of 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 losing your home and an open question as to whether or not there may be insurance coverage about that. I mean, can you imagine for all of us who own our homes, if all of a sudden you're, you're you just you just lose your home, boom, it's gone, and then there's a question about whether or not you can be compensated and whether or not insurance is going to cover that loss. Um, very very tough times, and I think you know we want to keep all those folks in our prayers. Back with lots more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Let's go where angels fear to tread. It is impossible to have this conversation that we are about to have without some people saying, oh, you, you are... I can't believe you're you're just so full of hate and you know you are transphobic and this is just terrible. Well, okay, here here's the story. One of the best swimmers in the NCAA, the college ranks this year, is a swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania named Leah Thomas. The expectations are that Leah Thomas will probably win all the major collegiate swimming records this year. 
and that she's going to win the NCAA title in a number of different swimming things. To give you to give you an idea, at a swim meet that uh, Leah Thomas participated in uh, just a couple weeks ago, she won the 200-meter freestyle uh, meet with a record time of 1 minute 41 seconds. She won the race by nearly 7 seconds. Her time was the fastest in the country. She dominated the 500-yard freestyle preliminary and finals at the University of Akron last weekend. Her winning time um, set a new Ivy League record. She also set a new program meet and pool record in the 1,650-yard freestyle, finishing more than 38 seconds ahead of the second-place contender. She is winning all the different awards there is to win in the Ivy League. And like I say, she is the betting favorite, if you bet on these things, to win all the NCAA tournaments and set records because uh, that, that's certainly the path that she is on. Okay, so so why is this controversial? Well, Leah Thomas is a senior at the University of Pennsylvania. Last year, she did not compete in competitive swimming. The three years before that, she was on the University of Pennsylvania's swim team. But she wasn't on the women's swim team. She was on the men's swim team. You see, because Leah Thomas was born Will Thomas. And Will Thomas was and has been a competitive swimmer for a number, for essentially his Will Thomas his entire life, including uh, Will Thomas his sophomore year at, at Pennsylvania when he was swimming for the men's team. Uh, they, they accomplished he, Will Thomas um, w- was a very very good swimmer. Now he, he wasn't setting the records like Leah Thomas is setting, but he was doing very very well, and he was one of the standouts on the men's swimming team for the University of Pennsylvania. A couple years ago, while he was in college, Will decided that he, he really, he, he was transgender. And he began the process of transitioning from male to female. So um, he, Will Thomas continued to compete in uh, the junior year, again, on the men's swim team, took a year off took some of the testosterone replacement things that the NCAA requires, and now has come back for her senior year as as Leah Thomas and is just dominating the NCAA swimming platforms. Now, I, I just want to say here, I from at the start, personally, I, I, I don't care what what people choose to do and I, I appreciate that there are people who are born with one biologic of a biological sex and they identify with the other sex and things like that I and that that's fine I think everybody has the right to, to do that in this particular case though what you have is you have a swimmer who was born as a male okay biologically is a male with broader shoulders, with bigger lungs, with a larger heart, because the, the truth of the matter is that that boys are different than girls. Men are different than, than women. And yes, you can take, as part of a gender transformation, you, you can take hormones and suppress, you know, t- testosterone and things like that, but it doesn't change the basics of, of what you were, were born with. So in any event, um, now, as, as Leah Thomas, a female, Leah Thomas is just kicking butt 
all over the NCAA swim tournaments. And what's happened is there are a number of female athletes who have started raising this issue and, and complaining. And the, the argument is we, we do not have a chance. Apparently, just the other day, um, 10 athletes anonymously wrote a letter, and they said they've got to be anonymous because they're afraid that they're going to be subject to all this vile sort of hatred if they do that. But they sent this letter saying, look, and they and their parents, saying, look, our 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 children who have, like, for example, you know, trained their, their entire life to, you know, succeed in swimming and things like this, they're, they don't have a chance. There's no way that they can win because they are – they are unfairly in a situation where they are competing against someone who biologically, because they were born male, has just incredible advantages over them as far as strength and as far as the size of the lungs and size of the heart and all that sort of stuff, and they can't compete. And you're starting to see that play out. You had, in this case, when... Leah Thomas was Will Thomas. They were a very, very successful competitive swimmer against males. And now that Will Thomas is Leah Thomas, they've just become a a dominant driving force that nobody thinks can be beat. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, to me, this issue, again, it's not about... The, the transgender and it's not about deciding that you were really a woman all along and you were born as a male that, that that that's fine that's that's a matter for the individual to decide as far as I'm concerned but when you make that transition especially you know now when you have somebody who's doing it you're a competitive swimmer in male categories now you've gone through that transit tread uh, that transition and now you're dominating the female category all right is this fair? to all the other female participants. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and for all the female swimmers who have, in fact, trained all their life because they, they want to be competitive and they want to win awards and things like that, and they've spent all this time and all these hours in the pool and they're, they're trying their best, now they find themselves competing against uh, an athlete who biologically was born different than they are and clearly i would think you could argue has inherent physical advantages that pretty much guarantee that she in 2021 and 2022 is not going to lose 855-616-1620 is this sour grapes or is there a legitimate issue being raised by these athletes and their parents my take on this Again, without without commenting on the decision to you know have a gender switch, I, I think you have to figure out something because this strikes me as being fundamentally unfair to the female swimmers who were born female to have a I'm not going to say necessarily world class athlete, but uh, but uh, certainly an, a high achieving male athlete who then transitions and now is swimming against the women. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, if this was, let's say, a speech event and, and it was extemporaneous speaking and they have 
girls extemporaneous speaking and boys extemporaneous speaking, which is, don't mean to be pejorative with that. It just, back when I was in high school, that's what it was, it was girls and boys. And, and you have a, you have one of the students who transitions. Well, in that case, I, I'd have, I'd have no issue with the biological male if they've now gone through all the treatments and they're identifying as a female. I'd have no, you know, problem with them competing in the, you know, girls extemporaneous speaking thing. But this is athletics and, and it's, it's different. You have, a very, very high-caliber male swimmer, biological male swimmer, who makes the decision to transition. Okay, that, that's all well and good, but now having that same body, having the same lungs, having the same shoulders, having the same muscles, now admittedly they had to take some testosterone you know, reduction things and all that, but still they have the same physical alignment that they had as as a male, they're now competing against females. I, I think females, quant- candidly, should be outraged. What about all the people that, again, the, the biological females who trained their entire life, competed against other females, now they find themselves competing essentially uh, against someone who is for all intents and purposes, biologically at least, a male. And, and that's that's not transphobic, or I certainly don't intend it to be transphobic. I'm just saying, is it fair to all the women out there, and that's what a number of them are saying. They're saying, "Look, we, you know, we we just we cannot compete against this. We don't have the same body type." To me, if you're going to do this, it would be much more fair to either create a, a separate category and have the transgender athletes compete against each other, because then again, you'd be competing against people that were in your your classification, or alternatively, um, continue to compete against males. But I, I think to allow this swimmer to compete against females is to give the swimmer an incredible advantage and you're starting to see that leah thomas is shattering all these different records 855-616-1620 jeff i'm as liberal as they come i have no problem with changes of identity but male body structure is definitely different bigger than female body structure no prejudice there it's just a fact the swimmer does in my opinion have an unfair advantage. Um, yeah, Jeff, this is becoming a huge issue that is even reaching into high school sports in an effort to bend over to a, a population for fear of being labeled transphobic, that the powers that be are completely negligent in their treatment of female athletes. I believe this is misogyny at at its, its best. Um, Exactly. Jeff, I don't think this is right. If a male is changing to a woman, um, she should compete in the men's swimming team. I mean, how would this end up working if it would be reversed? Well, it's probably not going to be reversed because if you had a female that transitioned into becoming a male, they would still have that, that the female body type and would probably be at a huge disadvantage when they would be competing against male Athletes. Now, I, I, you know, I, I mean, I, I understand that and we're, we're, and you got to keep in mind, we're, we're talking about, again, if not world class, certainly, you know, collegiate class athletes. We're talking about high performing athletes in this regard. 855-616-1620. To me, this is extremely obvious common sense. There is no place for a transgender male to compete as a woman. To me, it's a very obvious advantage to the person who is born as a, a male. I get tired of people trying to justify stuff otherwise. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And yeah, and that's, that's saying, in bringing this topic up, it's, it's not to disparage 
Leah Thomas or her accomplishments in any sort of way. It's just like, to me, she has, by virtue of being born biologically as a male, she has an inherent physical um, advantage over the, the people that she is now competing with. Jeff, it's getting so complicated. Maybe they just need to either create a transgender category or open a, up a co-ed category. Well, I mean, I think the obvious answer would be to create a transgender category. But the problem is, I, I don't know that there's enough transgender athletes in this particular you know, area that, that you'd be able to have any sort of meaningful competitions. Um, Jeff, would this person be allowed to swim in the Olympics as a female? I don't know the answer to that. I think the answer is yes, because I think the standards that the NCAA has with regard to, I mean, the, the drugs that you have to take and stuff like that, I think that they are similar, but I'm not positive um, about this. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I think this is just flat out incredibly unfair um, yes, Jeff, this is ridiculous. Why not just have biological men and biological women compete against each other then? To me, this ends up making no sense. Well, I, I, I appreciate it. On the one hand, you want to say to the female swimmer, look, we want to give you an opportunity to continue to swim competitively. Okay. I, and no, no problem with that. But what happens is in bowing to and giving, in this case, Leah Thomas, the right and the ability to continue to competitively swim, but by moving her into a different category, you have given her an inherent advantage that makes it just more difficult for everybody else. Um, and that's that to me is the unfair situation uh, about this. And. And if you want to understand the effect this is having, like I say, I mean, it's Will Thomas. When Will Thomas was swimming as a male, Will Thomas was a pretty darn good swimmer as a sophomore. So, I mean, Will Thomas, it's not like a situation where you have somebody who's just a, a spud who all of a sudden goes through this transition and now they're, they're doing real well. You already had a very, very good athlete who now has just kind of changed the category of the competition. And if people take that as transphobic, it, it's certainly not my intention. It's just we've set up a system that I think is just incre- incredibly unfair to all the women that are out there. And if I was one of those female athletes or if I was a parent of one of the female athletes who had driven them to the swim meets and spent all that money over the years trying to get them swim lessons and all that type of stuff, and finally they're, hey, now we're swimming for an Ivy League swim team, and I suddenly found out that, well, okay, the, the rules have now changed in this regard, and you are effectively swimming against a biological male, and as a result have no chance to win, I'd be upset about that. I don't think that's a reasonable, an unreasonable position to be upset about. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. It seems like COVID is going to be with us forever. Here, here's the latest news. And, and if you haven't been paying attention to the world of professional sports, COVID is just running rampant through professional sports. You've had, you know, uh, basketball teams that have some basketball games that have been canceled because they don't have enough players to participate. A couple hockey teams have had their games canceled because they don't have enough players to participate and, and vaccinated or unvaccinated. You know, people are apparently getting sick and things like that. The latest news out of Green Bay, Green Bay has at least over the last couple of weeks, and I, and I know 
I, I know the Aaron Rodgers thing a month ago, and I know the Dante Av- Adams thing a month ago, but um, Green Bay has largely managed to avoid some of the COVID-related problems in the last couple of weeks. Well, no more. Uh, the announcement is that nose tackle Kenny Clark, who I, you can argue that he's one of the two or three best line, defensive linemen in the NFL, and he's certainly been a dominant player on the, the Packers this year. They've announced that he is um, he's going to be out of the game on against Baltimore on Sunday after being placed on the COVID-19 list. Um, don't know if he's vaccinated or not, but they say regardless of his vaccinated status, Clark will be quarantined at least five days, so he's not going to be available to play against the Ravens. If he is vaccinated, that means he tested positive for COVID. Um, if he were a high-risk close contact, then he would just be monitored daily and not barred from being on the field or in the facility. So the implication of that certainly is that probably was vaccinated and nevertheless is one of these breakthrough cases. So Kenny Clark out for the game on Sunday. I guess the question is going to be, are, are any other players going to come down with this? Because you, you look at, like I say, you look at some of these teams, Cleveland Browns, for example, they're just being absolutely decimated by this. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Before we bring in the new year, let's take one last look back. The 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presents History Made, a celebration of Milwaukee's first title in 50 years and the best in high school, college, and professional sports from across the state of Wisconsin. Join ESPN Wisconsin's Jen Latta and Wisconsin's biggest stars on Saturday, December 18th at 1 a.m. on TMJ4 for the 10th Annual Wisconsin Sports Awards presented by UW Credit Union, Jockey, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, and Palermo's Pizza. All right, here is my message. My message is do not California our Wisconsin. Here is the story. As part of the, I don't know, decision to move us along on climate change, a number of states led by California have decided we need to eliminate natural gas as a source of supply for for our power. Now, around here, I think if you think about it, I mean, there, there's two ways you can, two major ways you can heat your home. I understand that there's some other options, but but most people have either gas furnaces or they have electric furnaces. I would say the majority of people in Wisconsin probably have gas furnaces. In addition. There are, I mean, depending on, you know, what your setup is, think about your kitchen. Maybe you have an electric stove. Maybe you have an electric oven. You may very well, though, have a gas stove. You could have a gas oven and things like that. We have, up until this point, always given people the choices of of what they want to do. Well, in an effort to, again, facilitate a response to climate change, there are a number of states that have decided we need to do more. In California, as it stands now, over 50 California cities have now passed rules that in most cases ban natural gas hookups in new homes and in businesses. So the idea is, um, for example, the International Energy Agency recommended in May that governments worldwide ban fossil fuel furnace sales by 2025. 
and urgently phase out the use of natural gas in buildings. So what this would mean is if something like this went through, you've got a natural, you've got a gas-fired furnace in your house. Well, after 2025, you wouldn't be able to buy a new one if this were to be uh, adopted, what the International Energy Agency is recommending. But in California, at least 50 cities, this is precisely that. No new natural gas hookups for buildings, um, new buildings. And that means no more gas stoves. It means no more gas furnaces. Now, lest you think that this is something that is exclusively limited to California, hence the don't California my Wisconsin, New York City. On Wednesday, the New York City Council voted to pass legislation banning the use of natural gas in most new construction. Um, this is going to go to the outgoing mayor, Bill de Blasio, for signature. He will sign this into effect. It will go into effect at the end of 2023 for buildings under seven stories and 2027 for taller buildings. Under the law, construction projects submitted for approval must use sources like electricity for stove, space heaters, and water boilers instead of gas or oil. Um, residents who currently have gas stoves and heaters in their home aren't impacted unless they relocate to a new building. But the idea is you will, if in Wisconsin, for example, we were to go California on this, what would happen is you would no longer have the option of in an existing home, you, you wouldn't be able to replace your, uh, your your gas furnace or alternatively, all new construction, there wouldn't be gas furnaces, there wouldn't be gas stoves, etc. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My note when I read the story was, don't California my Wisconsin, all right? Should we continue to have the options to be able to use natural gas. Do you want to be forced, you're building a home, do you want to be forced to say, okay, I can't put a natural gas furnace in my house anymore. It's got to be something that's driven by electric. If you're one of these people that likes to cook on a gas stove, now look, I'm, I'm not a cook, but I am told that cooking on a gas stove is far superior than cooking on an electric stove. I don't know because I'm not a cook. We have an electric stove at the house, but, but I'm told that people who have gas stoves love them. Should people be able to continue to have this option? Should we California our Wisconsin? Because in California, that option is going to be going away very shortly. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Back to take your calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're just tuning in, the, the heading of this is Don't California My Wisconsin. California and now New York City have decided that as part of their effort to have to affect climate change, they are going to ban natural gas hookups on on all new construction. So what that means is if you um, no no gas furnaces, no gas stoves, no gas hot water heaters. I mean, you name it. it it's no natural gas hookups will be allowed. So presumably people will be forced to go to use uh, electric, which of course raises all sorts of issues. 855-616-1620. All right. Do we want to California eyes Wisconsin? Mary in New Berlin. Mary, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mary. So no, we don't want to do that. 
Um, I think that people are very short-sighted and thinking they can fix things when there isn't a plan for what happens if we have a power failure, right? Right. And that's all your options are. So I lived in Houston, and my house got damaged by a hurricane, and for a month I had no power, and I didn't have the gas stove, and Mm -hmm. I couldn't cook for a month. And all the people who were evacuating, you know, stuck in traffic, it's 17 hours to drive out of town, and you're in a gas car in an electric vehicle, those vehicles are getting abandoned on the freeway. Yeah, because they, they run out. No, th- I mean, th- thanks for the call. I mean, look, I, th- these are some of these things that, that sound, that, that may, maybe, you know, you sit there and you say, okay, San Diego. You live in San Diego. Um, you, you know, do, do you need a natural gas hookup in San Diego? Okay, well, that, that's fine. Milwaukee, Wisconsin is different, where we're going to have sub-zero days, and the average temperature in January is going to be 20 degrees or something like that. And Well, here's a text, you know, um, Jeff, I mean, electric is great. But, you know, give me a good old gas furnace for the winter months. It's expensive. Solar is not an option as a practical matter. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's no question that this is what, what's going on. And as a number of you are making the point in texts, that the issue is, okay, too, what, what do we got going on with the power grid now? I mean, and you, you look at, for example, let's take California as an indicator. You've got, you know, you'll have the wildfires and stuff in California, and then you've got the brownouts, and you've got people going off the grid. Well, okay, imagine if all of a sudden you are now going to say to a large percentage of people, you, you are going to have to transition. We're going to put more furnaces. We're going to put more of the stoves and stuff. We're, we're going to transition away from the natural gas, which is comparatively inexpensive. I mean, that's that's the other factor. I mean, natural gas continues to be comparatively plentiful but this idea that no we we can't have it i mean look i i understand you know some of the beefs about coal and things like that but but for years and years national natural gas has been viewed as the the sort of clean alternative and now in our bizarro world we've gotten to the point where um this is it somebody corrects me again jeff there's no such thing as a hot water heater it's simply a water heater yes it is a water heater that turns the water hot Everybody knows what I'm talking about there. But if this goes through, you would not be able to have a water heater that was powered by natural gas. 855-616-1620. Jeff, this is a ridiculous move. It takes so much coal burning to create electricity that it's not even close to being as clean as natural gas. You know, we've talked on this program before about if if you really want to get serious about climate change and you really want to do away with dependency or at least limit dependency on fossil fuels, the answer is nuclear power. Oh, did, didn't you see the movie The China Syndrome back in the 70s? Yeah, I, I, I saw it. It's a different world right now. 855-616-1620. The stove thing is an interesting aspect to me as well. I've got a number of people who are calling up and talking about the the fact that they, they love to cook on their gas Stoves. Uh, one of our listeners calls in and says, "Hey, I'm I'm a big part of the the Sikh community, and you know we a lot of our food we like to cook on the um, we like to cook on the gas sto- gas stoves because you can get it hotter and and things like that. I, I think if you talk to a lot of restaurant owners, etc., they'll tell you that this is the way to go. That they, that gas is a superior form of of cooking." Now, again, I'm not a cook, so I don't really take a position on that one way or the other. And I guess that you can adapt on stuff. But 
But but why should you end up having to do that? These are the these sort of ideas that are out there. And to me, it's again, it's we get distracted with the bright shiny objects. You know, oh, there's a squirrel, and then of course you you look away. Here we think this sounds really good on paper. Let's say you can't cook on natural gas because we we think it's superior to have electricity to use electricity than than gas. Okay, that that's fine. But you do that without thinking about what that's going to do to efficiency. You think about what that's going to do to cost, and then you think about what it's going to do to, you know, again, convenience, and, and then where is the energy going to come from? Where is the electricity going to come from? How is the electricity going to be um, produced? And you put that all together, and that's it. Professional chefs only use gas. Yeah, I think that's probably the case. Um, my line is, if I wanted dog poop in my yard, I'd get a dog. If I wanted to live in a crazy place, I'd move to California. You know, there is an interesting aspect of that, because related to this, I actually stapled to my thing, California is one of the states that, interestingly enough, is losing people. You know, normally there, there's a migration to warm weather states. I mean, that's just kind of the natural of this. Decrease in people, this is from the Wall Street Journal yesterday, decrease in people moving to California was particularly severe in the, wait for it, San Francisco Bay Area, where new arrivals fell by 45%. California is losing more than twice as many people to domestic vibration at vi- migration migration as it was before the pandemic um people just not moving to california from other parts of the u.s and people bailing in a big way and i think it's because of crazy stuff like this where the government says we're not going to give you the choice we're not going to give you an option of saying you know you want to continue with the natural gas hookup we're going to take that away because we're the government and we know better Lori, Lori, you're on wtmj good afternoon yes hi, hi um how are you good what do you think do you go ahead. well i think i'm switching everything now to electric i have a gas furnace i have a gas stove i've had a problem with carbon monoxide i'm into safety first and i've had several problems not just here in kenosha but in libertyville where i used to live and in Winnetka before that so there are things that can happen to first people with gas stoves that can be manipulated by other people not just the quality of the product itself as far as i can tell so I would go uh, uh, electric all the way. Well, Lori, and I let me say this: I respect that decision. Okay, I, I if if for example your water heater goes out, and you have to decide what am I going to replace this with? Am I going to replace it with? Uh, let's say you have a gas water heater now, and you decide am I going to replace this with this, or do I want to bring in an electric water heater? I respect your decision. Uh, no, I have no problem with that at all. If you um, decide that, hey, I, I think for you know heating my house, I'd rather have baseboard, electric heat, or whatever, that that's superior than using a gas forced air furnace, I respect that. 
I, I think that is a decision that you should make. If you decide that you want to retrofit your kitchen and put in an electric stove as opposed to a gas stove, again, I, I respect that. That that to me is what the free market is about. And I'm I'm not really here to debate the. My intention isn't to debate whether you know it, it's better to have you know electric heat or, or gas heat or an electric water heater or a gas water heater or a gas stove or an electric stove. I, I'm not here to debate the merits, but I think individuals should have the right to make that decision for themselves. What's the most cost effective? What's the most efficient? What's the one that's the most comfortable for me? What's the easiest service? What's the reliability? All those different factors come into play and then you as an individual consumer, you make the decision and you decide how you want to spend your money. And I'm all 100% in favor of that. And however you decide to go, I'm cool with it. That's your decision. What I think is wrong is where the government, in this case, 50 cities in the state of California and now New York City that's getting ready to jump on the crazy train. They just say, we're not going to give you that choice anymore. We are, by legislative fiat, going to prevent these new building, any new buildings from being built that have natural gas hookups. So you're going to have to find some other alternative. Sorry. Give me the choices. Let me make the decision. Period. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, I, I think I, I was talking to somebody earlier this morning who has some family members who have made the decision not to get vaccinated. And I was kind of curious because I said, okay, why why?" Why did they decide this? And, you know, um, my person I was talking to was explaining, said, well, they just they just they're worried about the long term effects and they've just decided that they're willing to take the the risks. And I I said, well, I'm just kind of curious. Have they seen, for example, the the most recent numbers here, which say I'm just looking at the story out of the state journal. Unvaccinated Wisconsin residents were more than 12 times more likely to die for your job. But you have to understand that you are engaging in what statistically is a more risky sort of behavior and so you got to expect that it's going to cost you a little bit more 855-616-1620 let's start with todd in brookfield todd you're first hello greetings thanks for taking the call Hi, i i i see I, I differentiate between these two things the the two weeks of additional pay for individuals that come down with covid that was a voluntary benefit that the company decided to implement and they can pull that i've got no question with that i've got no problem with that if they make that decision as far as starting to differentiate on voluntary activities associated with the employer group plan, employer group plans, at least in the state of Wisconsin, you just mentioned smoking versus or tobacco versus non-tobacco status. That is generally only only plans that are self-insured. They're not state-regulated employer group plans. Okay. But the employer group plans generally do not differentiate based on certain things. Pre-existing conditions, obviously, was one. Right. But tobacco use is generally not a criteria associated with rate on employer group plans. What about an individual that drinks more or less than 10 alcoholic beverages mm-hmm. a week? What about an individual that consumes more or less than six fast food meals a week or mm-hmm. is more or less 50 pounds or less obese mm-hmm. or underweight? Right. There are a lot of things that people make voluntary decisions on that are currently blended into the costs associated with employer group plans to selectively start picking out vaccinated versus non-vaccinated, I think is opening them up to a lot of controversy and possibly a lot of lawsuits 
because they're not differentiating on a lot of other things that may statistically impact the cost associated with administering the employer group plan. Well, Todd, what I think you're going to see, and thanks for the call, I, I actually think you're going to see moving forward more more differentiations based exactly on some of those criteria that you're talking about. I mean, again, whether it's a smoking or non-smoking, or maybe it's going to be a situation where they say if people have are, are, are obese and have you know a body weight over a certain amount, that that they they will be treated differently. Now, of course, the thing is, the employees are then going to have the option as to whether they decide, hey, I'm, I'm not going to work here. I'm going to work somewhere else. And again, given you were the fact that we're looking at a labor shortage, that might stop them from doing that. But does an employer have a right to charge more for certain type of behavior? I, I think I guess I think the answer is is yeah. Now you can argue is it charging more or alternatively are you just giving a discount to the people who have decided in this case to get vaccinated because statistically if you're vaccinated you're less likely to have to be hospitalized and therefore the costs are not going to be as great. But you're you're right. It opens the door theoretically to employers then starting to quote unquote discriminate against other forms of voluntary behavior. The thing that stops I think employers from going too far with that is, again, if you start breaking it down into too many subsets, hey, if you have more than five drinks a week, you know, you're going to have to pay a surcharge while you risk losing the employees. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I agree with it. I don't see anything wrong with it. The people who are not getting vaccinated have got to start paying the price for their stupidity. We all know the vaccine is going to help and that's the only thing that's going to help. And if people continue to say no, it's not going to get any better. And mm-hmm. if you got to pay more then for your health insurance, fine. I mm-hmm. think that they need to pay more because if they get hospitalized, the costs going back to Kroger are going to skyrocket for their health insurance. Mm-hmm. So get your shot. No big deal. The other thing, too, that that differentiates maybe being unvaccinated for COVID versus, uh, say, smoking or drinking or things like that is that if you're unvaccinated for COVID, you you pose arguably pose a, a risk. You you have COVID. You come into work. You don't know you have COVID. You might infect somebody else that's at work. If, if you're a smoker or you're a drinker or you're obese, it, it's only affecting you. So it's not only the added potential costs and the likelihood that you're going to have more health expenses. It's also the fact that you might get other people sick and then incur even more health expenses for the group. So I, I, I just, I guess I think there's all sorts of differentiations. Yeah, I, I think the employer has every right to set the parameters for their workers. You know, at your work, you probably have some type of address code, maybe. It's the right of the employer to do that. And you have to follow along with their rules. So to complain about it, what's the complaint? This is what the rule is. Follow the rule. You have to get vaccinated if you want to. If you don't want to get vaccinated, fine. We're not going to give you the added benefits. Right. And and, common sense. Yeah, thanks. And you're going to have to pay more. And, again, if you don't like it, then that that's fine. Nobody says that you have to work at Kroger, and maybe you can find someplace else to work. Clearly, I mean, I think what Kroger is trying to do is find that balancing. If you make, if you make the health insurance rules too overpowering, well, or, or too 
too terrible, what's going to happen is you're going to lose a lot of employees. They're, they're just going to go somewhere else. That's what happens with the free market. I guess I look at this, and I mean, I appreciate that slippery slope. I've never had a problem, though, with smokers having to pay more. I, I just I just haven't. I think that's a decision that you make. If you want to smoke, that that's fine. You, you get to smoke. I think it should be legal. I don't have any problem with it. I don't understand cigarette smoking, but that's okay. If you decide to do it, that that's that's great, but you have to recognize statistically, I, I, I told the story before. Um, two months ago, I think I did an interview, our Freighter at Everyday Health Features. I was talking to a lung doctor, and we were talking about lung diseases, and I'm not sure if it was on the air or off the air, but I, I said to him, I'm just curious, of all these different lung diseases that we're talking about, um, not just lung cancer, but all these other ones, I said, I'm, I'm curious, what, what percentage would you say of the people that, that come down with these are, are smokers? And he said, without hesitation, he said 95%, 90 to 95%. He said, if, if people did not smoke, I'm not saying that nobody would get lung cancer or nobody would have these other lung problems, but he said it, it's one of the, the major contributing factors for this. So, again, it, to me, it, it makes sense. If you're deciding and you're making that decision that you want to smoke, you have to understand that you are exposing yourself to a risk that is is disproportionate to the overall population, the people that don't smoke. And I guess I don't think it's unfair for employers to say, okay, if you're going to do that, you, you, you have to pay more. I understand that that could open up the door to other things in the future. But right now, what's on the table is get vaccinated or don't get vaccinated. You don't lose your job, but you realize that some of these other things, these benefits uh, that are associated with being vaccinated, they're off the table. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Back with more in just a minute.